This is the word of the Lord from Acts 19, 21 through 41. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, For the whole assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Paula. Got some feist in that reading. Well done. Uh, Well, good morning again, y'all. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, If you plan on making this place your home, just know Sunday you're going to hear whoever gets up say this a lot. Redemption Church is one church. 
10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Um, Redemption Peoria is, is one of those uh, congregations. We're elder-led, lead pastor-led. You might have a, a ton of questions about what that looks like. Um, feel free to find me afterwards. If I don't know you, haven't met you yet, you've been coming even for a couple weeks. Um, a couple weeks ago, I met somebody who's been coming for a year. We still haven't met. Not cool. I'll be in the, the lobby over by the Connect Desk. Come up and say hi if we haven't met yet um, so at least we can know each other. Um, just know we're going to really push you um, into communities. We f- really feel like that's where our mission takes place. That's where our, uh, community takes place in regards to sharpening one another and all that. And so there's ways to get connected, again, uh, at that Connect Desk that you can see or um, some Connect cards that, that will be afforded to you. I only have one announcement before we jump into Acts 19, and that is... Um, when we, when we talk about Redemption Church, you have this gospel-centered and outward focus. And a big part of us being outward focused, we identify things very strategically um, and intentionally uh, locally within our city, our state, our country, and then even uh, the globe. When we identify those things, we really want to go all in on those things. And one of the things that we've identified within our state that we really want to attack is the foster care and adoption crisis that's going on in the state of Arizona. It's something that we've talked about before. We've devoted a Sunday to it. But here's what I want to say to you. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, I don't know what to do. Um, Maybe I could... I could foster someone. Maybe I could babysit for someone. Maybe I can just give. There's all these different avenues in which we want to, as a church, rally around um, helping this issue. And so um, what I would say to you is there's just an orientation. It's at 630 on August 30th. It's at Access Church. You can go on our website and see where Access Church is, or you can Google it. But it's just an orientation to go, okay, so I like the idea that us as a church, are, you know, we're getting behind that. What do we do? Like, what, what, what are their options out there? It's just, uh, well, here's what it looks like. You're not, like, selling your soul or you're not going home with three kids that night. The, the idea would be that you would just be um, kind of introduced to how this whole process works. Cool? Okay. Well, let's jump into uh, Acts 19. Uh, we're going to go 20 verses strong, 21 through th- uh, 41. And just so you know, the, the sections are going to get longer and longer and longer as we go um, to finish out the book of Acts. So just be aware of that. We'll actually finish on... Um, October 8th, I believe, is our finishing date. And uh, Dwayne Hawkins from Life Giver Church, he preached for us last year. He's actually coming and finishing uh, the book of Acts for us. So he's my man. He's a good dude. Verse 21 says this. Now, after these events, let's stop real quick, okay? If you're new, it's going to be a big Bible study. After these events is referring to what we just saw take place with these guys, the sons of Sceva in Ephesus. And more importantly, there's these 12 guys in the city of Ephesus where our account takes place today um, that were asked by Paul, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they were like, we don't even know who the Holy Spirit is, right? And so um, what we did last week is we broke down, since we've been introduced to it over and over and over in Acts last week, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? How does all that play out? And so um, as those events continue to to, uh, continue on, what we find is 21 now after these events, right? Resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And ha- uh, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Aratus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Okay, so they're in Asia for a while. That little last part, for a while, we actually have to go back a little bit. Um, because as we were, sorry, as we were finishing up our text, if you remember um, verses 8 through 10 last week, I, I read them and I said, hey, we're not going to study these right now because we're going to go back to them next week. Well, well now is next week. I, I want to bring us back and draw our attention. So if you have your Bibles open or your app open, you can just flick down and you're going to go to verses 8 through 10 of chapter 19, just, uh, you know, 10 verses before we got to this. Um, I want to read something to, to what Paul's been doing in Ephesus um, uh, after the, the, those 12 men and before the sons of Sceva. 
And he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all of the residents of, of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, this is a, a big deal because what we find is Paul is in this region and he begins to preach for a couple months, right? He begins to talk with these people, but they're stubborn in their unbelief. So as he continues to go at them and continue to have conversation with them, they're stubborn in their unbelief. So he continues to preach the kingdom of God. And listen to what he says. He's reasoning with them. He's reasoning with them in the hall of Tyrannus, which is this place of discourse. He's reasoning with them. And this reasoning goes on for two years. Okay. And and over a period of two years, as he continues to talk with these people, go, I don't want anything to do do with Jesus. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Okay, fine. We'll talk a little bit about Jesus. Okay. Okay, fine. Tell me about Jesus a little bit more. What's happening is over two years, this long faithfulness in the same direction, continuing to reason, continuing to talk to, uh, to people about the kingdom of God, we have this disturbance. And that, that's what today is about, this disturbance. Um, I, in first service, kept saying the word disruptance. Apparently, that's not a word. I thought rappers and preachers are allowed to make up words, but um, uh, di- disturbance. Um, disturbance is, is, is the name of the game and the direction that we're going to go because that's what we find taking place in Ephesus, okay? Let me read it uh, to you. So let's go to our, our text in verse 23, jumping back to know what Paul has been doing and reasoning, talking about the kingdom of God. Verse 23, and at that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Okay, so um, we're going to sit in this for a second and talk about what this means. Because the reality is, we've been watching God move in the book of Acts, and this isn't the first time we see this kind of commotion disturbance. And now we're going to find a city that gets in an uproar. And I will argue with you that this is a macro level of what's happening to us individually inside. This is what's happening in our families. This is what should be happening on our neighborhoods. This disturbance that we need to, to, need to hone in on. Now, now, how this plays out is not Paul arriving on the scene, preaching a sermon, and then all of a sudden there's this disturbance, and, and people are losing their mind. Though that's happened. No, no, no. Two years, faithfully, reasoning with people, talking, them, talking to them about the kingdom of God, befriending them, coming alongside them, and then suddenly there's a problem. And, and here's the problem. The problem is in this pagan world, Christianity or the way takes root. And when it takes root, it causes bad things to happen to paganism. Suddenly what this city knew to be true, what this city loved to do, the way the city liked to operate, all the places this city found its joy, suddenly someone is saying something different and a lot of people are buying it. And so the city is confused, doesn't know what's going on because it's hearing something different. Let me read to you something from a guy named Bruce Shelley. It was the first church history book I actually ever read. Um, it's called Church History in Plain Language. I love it. If you want to read church history book, I think it's a great book. It says this, simply by living according to the teachings of Jesus, the Christian was a constant unspoken condemnation of the pagan way of life. It was not that the Christian went about criticizing and condemning and disapproving, nor were they consciously self-righteous and superior. It was simply that the Christian ethic itself was a criticism of pagan life. So now you have this pagan life, these people who worship this certain goddess, which we'll get to in a second. 
Now there's this kingdom of God being preached and, and they're being told that's wrong. And, and there's this, this commotion, this disturbance that's going on within the city. Now, um, now what we get from Shelley and what he's explaining is it's not that there's just this outright wrong, 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 wrong. Though there are cases of that's going on. But imagine if you um, are a contractor, right? And, and someone comes to you and says, hey, I want you to help build a temple for Zeus. I want to help, help you for, for Hermes or whoever it is. And by your conscience, your, your Christian ethic, you go, I, I actually can't. Or, hey, listen, come to our house. And this is a very common thing. We're having an orgy tonight. Come here and, and be a part of the debauchery that's going on. And as a Christian, you can't. Or, no, no, hey, come to the Colosseum where we watch human beings, people made in the image of God, be slaughtered. And as a Christian, you can't. So it's not just active avoidance of the culture. It's the idea of being seen as a prude because you don't participate in that. And suddenly, oh, you think you're better than us. No. That's not at all what I'm saying. I just think Jesus is better than both of us. And so they're removed from this culture. Economically, they suffer because they don't get a business. To, I mean, their whole um, commerce revolves around these pagan gods. And so they, they have to remove themselves through the social interactions of orgies, through the, the uh, interactions of uh, the gladiators being killed or whatever it is. They choose to remove themselves from this culture. And as the kingdom of God is beginning to take root, the seeds are growing in people's hearts. They're looking at the culture around them and they're going, I can't partake anymore. And this is an issue. Now let's stop real quickly, okay? And let's go back to the book of Acts and remember, this is not an isolated event. This is not the first time, nor will it definitely be the last time that when the gospel comes into a situation, something happens, man. Just a couple things that I jotted down so you can remember. We find in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit falls on, on Peter in such a way that as he preaches, men are cut to the heart. They literally cry out, what can we do? Thousands of people are added to the church. We then, as the story continues on, people are devoting themselves to prayer and fellowship. When was the last time you were invited to go out one night and you said, well, actually, I'm, I'm kind of committed to prayer in my community tonight. No, no, no. After that, we find people giving Everything, selling their cars, didn't exist then, but you get the idea. Homes, giving everything for what God is doing in their city. When God came on the scene, something happened. Peter's like strolling out of prison. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy. As God moves, the gospel takes root, powers there, and something begins to change. And there's this uh, disturbance that takes place in that area. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Vince, he preached through Acts 17. Listen to what Acts 17, as it begins to describe the way, the the Christian way, as it grows in certain cities. Listen to Acts 17. Uh, it, It says this, and they, they drag some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting. This is how they describe them. Shouting, okay? These are the men who have turned the world upside down. When the way enters, when the gospel enters, when the kingdom of God is there, our paradigms are shift. We no longer do those things anymore. And suddenly there's dissonance. Suddenly there's change. What we don't find, you know what we don't find? We don't find Christianity hiding behind padlocks and garage doors. We don't find Christianity that's afraid to be involved in social issues, make waves. We don't find Christianity that loves sin. We don't find Christianity that's not willing to, hear me, give everything. Everything. Well, I don't know, that wouldn't make sense, right? Like, no, 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 hear me. Are you willing? Like, legitimately, to give everything. The house, the car, everything. No, 
We don't find nominal prayer lives, nominal reading lives. We don't find nominal Christianity when the gospel takes root. Something happens. And that disturbance, that something, when it takes root, that's what I want us to see in this this section of scripture here. What's going on in Ephesus is a, a big picture of what should be going on within all of us. So as we go on, what we find is that, that exact thing. This is what the gospel does it again. Verse 24, Paul continues to preach, talking about the kingdom of God. The people are responding. Again, there is a disturbance, and it's not little, right? And it says this in verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Uh, these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. Let's stop real quick, just so you know, historically, what we know in these larger cities is there would be these guilds of people, right? So all the, the um, I don't know if you worked in a field or you work, worked with wood or iron or silver, whatever it is, there would be these guilds. And, and Demetrius is a spokesperson for this guild and similar trades around it. He has something to say in what's, what, what's going on within the city, something to say about what Paul is doing as he introduces the gospel. This is what we find. Continuing on in verse 25, and he said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger. Not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. So let's talk about Artemis. Artemis is this Greek goddess who's the god of uh, the, the goddess of the hunt, right? So she's usually seen with like a bow and arrows and she's, she's taking care of even virginity falls within her spectrum and in the forest. I mean, if you can kind of think of Katniss Everdeen, that's totally what I thought of, right? Just picturing Artemis as Katniss Everdeen. Um, and that's what you kind of have, right? And so um, what this silversmith is saying, what Demetrius is saying in this moment is here's what we know. Um, we make things, our, our uh, economy is revolving around Artemis, us worshiping Artemis. Paul's coming in and saying, she's not real. This is problematic for us. Now, um, there are tons of ways that, that this guy can be super confused and super frustrated because not only are they involved with making the big temples, but the day-to-day stuff, right? There are things that, pennant-type things that you can buy for Artemis, like uh, uh, rosaries or, or stuff like that that correspond with Artemis that you can continue to purchase. And they're, they're not happy about it. And they're saying, we need to be careful here because this is going to be a problem. I mean, imagine for a moment the systemic issues in our culture or within our city and state that we would have if we lost the diamond we lost the sons. We lost the cardinals. It's not just the people that work for those organizations, but also we have problems because of the tax money that comes in. We'd have problems with uh, uh, visitors coming in to watch those games. I mean, this would be a big hit to our economy. And people would go, now, wait a minute. You're talking about removing these huge economic flourishing parts of our society. That's bad. That, that's a bad thing. So he goes on. And continuing to say it, um, there's two things I want you to notice. In verse 25, that first is is that this business, this way of life is surrounding that. But but the, the problem is that Paul is making a declaration that that way of life, though you are are providing commerce and though you are quote unquote happy, it's actually false. Now, now that's that's very intentional. There, listen, listen. If you're not a believer, hear me when I say, though you think you're happy. Though you think you have the right way of life, that path is false. 
Now, if you're a Christian, you, you came to that realization. And what we find is two things should have taken place. Two things. Demetrius actually lays these out. Listen to what he says very carefully. Listen to how he plays uh, these things out. Because when the gospel comes in, there's a danger. Look at verse 24. And there is a danger. Not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute. It's not a word we use often, but have a bad reputation. There's the first one. Do you hear that? Do you hear that first thing? So, so our trade, as Christians are coming on the scene, they're going to look at us and go, wait a minute, you're serving a false god. So right now, we're, we're, man, we're, we're the kings. We're making all these things for Artemis. We're seen as top dogs. But if, but if something else comes along and, and people begin to serve that thing and the, and, and the thing that we're doing, our way of life, the way that we see things, the way that we find joy, the way that we look for happiness, it's going to have a bad reputation. People are going to think about us in all of the wrong ways. Can you hear the first thing that it's going to say? It's going to say, as you become a Christian, your old way of life, the way that you used to survive and find joy is going to have a bad reputation. You're going to look at your old self and go, what was I doing? This has never been true more than what I saw in, um, what I didn't see, I was told um, by the, the first guy that had discipled me. His name's Luke. Corbin's middle name is, is Luke, named after him. Um, he had told me that uh, he had, he was, you know, a binge drinker and did all kinds of stuff. And one night uh, he was drunk and high and he just sat on the sofa and that was like his moment. He's kind of high in every way that, that he wants to get high. And he said he was sitting there and he said, all I can sit there was think, this is stupid. Like I can feel it. This is stupid. Said he got up, looked in the mirror, and he goes, what am I doing? Like suddenly, that thing that used to bring him the happiness, no, 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 hear me. He's tasted the real stuff, right? Right? It's like ain't nobody doing the, the Dr. Skipper when you have Dr. Pepper. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody's drinking the off-brand stuff if they have the option. And when you've tasted the kingdom of God, your old life has a bad reputation. You're looking at it going, I don't want that anymore. That, I used to think that was fun. That's not fun. Here, Ephesians 2. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen to how Ephesians 2 uh, uh, describes how you were. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins and what you once walked, following the course of this world. You hear the word following? You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our mind and body. So here you are, you're going, well, I didn't, no, my pastor, I wasn't technically serving anyone. What Ephesians 2 is saying, is saying to you in this moment, and maybe you're not a believer and you would not accept this, but hear me, you following yourself is following the devil. That's what Ephesians 2 is saying. Let's just walk on out of here. And know one day we used to follow the devil. Now here in this moment, you were carrying out, doing what you, were wa- what you wanted to. And now suddenly there's this disruption. This disturbance takes place. And as it takes place, you look at your old life and you go, people, myself, I look at that life and I just don't want it anymore. Now there's the first thing that we see that's disturbing the city. The second thing is why that takes place. Listen to what he says. Again, verse 27. This trait of ours may, be, uh, may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. Um, so the, the word you can see there, deposed, it's not a word that we use often. It means like removed or destroyed. But in Greek, literally, um, it comes from the root word of being owned. So uh, Demetrius is saying, if we're not careful, 
Something else is going to own our God, which is legit language. If you better believe it, Jesus does that to a lot of people and God specific, you know. Okay, so, so if we're not careful, but, but, but listen to what he says. This, this, um, he, this Artemis is in a position of magnificence where obviously we get our word majesty from. Um, megaletos is the Greek word. And you can hear what I'm saying when I say that, right? Megaletos. You can hear the word mega, right? It means this greatness. So, so quite literally translated, if we're not careful, Artemis is going to be removed, destroyed, or be owned from her great place of honor. This, this great place. And that's exactly what the, go- the, the, the gospel is doing. As it enters into your life, as it enters into the city, what the gospel is doing, the reason you can't go back to your old way of life, bro, the reason is because the, the, the throne that sits on your heart, someone else is sitting there and is driving those desires. And it's no wonder, according to 1 Peter 4, 4, uh, uh, your, your old friends, of course it says, your old friends look at you and wonder why you don't participate in the debauchery that they are. Because hear me, the gospel is better. It's better than that false God, whatever it is. And this is the trick to all of this. Because um, in Exodus 20, we get the great 10 commandments, which ironically enough follow 630 commandments after that, but nobody's memorizing those commandments. We have the 10 great commandments. And very early on, God's going to make sure, hey, listen, you can have no gods before me. Now to the Israelites... And to the people in Ephesus, gods were quite literal, like statues, things that we can tangibly look. But what they were looking for was security. So cultures, subcultures are looking for something from those gods. All we've done to break Exodus 20, uh, uh, chapter 20 is we've just removed the actual God portion of it. And we find our security, our hope, our comfort in the things that those gods would afford. So... Um, when, when, when you're sitting there worshiping beauty, you may not be worshiping, caring to the nth degree of how much you care. You may not be worshiping Athena, but hear me, your heart is going towards the direction of what she offers. And anything that is, immediately, there's, a, there's this disturbance. The gospel comes in and goes, no, 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 we, we, don't, we don't worship that anymore. We don't care about that anymore. That's not something that we desire anymore. And um, my man Spurgeon, yep, he, uh, he, I think he describes this really, really well. Um, he talks about the moment we become believers and what that looks like. And our old man tries to come back. Listen, listen to how he says this. He says, I put then the question to you. Have you been turned upside down? See, everything has changed with you. If you were to meet your old self going down the street, you would not know him except by hearsay. You are no relation to him at all. Sometimes your old self comes to you at your house and begins to tempt you to go back. But you turn him out and you say, be gone. You say, I never got on as long as I knew you away from me. I have, uh, I have nothing to do with you. I've been buried with Christ. I've been risen with him. I a new man in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Spurgeon's point is this. That when you become a Christian, there's this disruptance, this disturbance. I forget which word is real and which word is fake. Okay? There's this confusion, and immediately um, 
God is turning you upside down. And the way that you used to understand giving is not the same way. You're not hoarding your money. The way you used to understand sex, it's not the same way. You're not just looking for, a, for, for what you can get uh, immediately. You're not, not just looking for, for passions or you're not just trying to find security and comfort. Suddenly saving money doesn't mean the same thing anymore. The way uh, that you handle your money, the way the things that you wear, the cars that you drive, all these things have been intentionally thought through. The things you watch, the things that you listen to, the friends you have, how you talk to those friends, everything is changed. Hear me, everything. And your old self knocks on the door. Hey, let's go. Spurgeon's point is, man, I never found joy when I was you. I never, I never, never found it when I was with you. Be gone. And this is what the gospel is doing to Ephesus. It's straight turning this place upside down. It's, it's, it's attacking social economic issues. That though we hear this, those are, there's a passion for Artemis that we can identify uh, a passion to, um, to, to, to Jesus. Uh, hear me, this path leads to destruction. Let me give you an example of this. Um, Candace and I, you know, we don't have cable, but when we go on... Um, um, some type of vacation, we always get to watch cable. And we got hooked to this Leah Remney uh, Scientology show on A&E. Okay, crazy stuff. You want to, okay. So what's crazy about this whole Scientology stuff, which I highly suggest you do not join, um, okay. What's crazy about the Scientology stuff is these people are committed, man. I mean, listen, hear me when I say this, and you can look it up and all this. They signed billion-year contracts to the Church of Scientology. I'm sure you got questions. So did I, Okay. But they sign billion-year contracts. They give their life to this organization, which they call the church, unfortunately. And as they give their life to this organization, they're all in. They're committed in the same way that I'm committed. But hear me. Here's the difference between the true gospel of Jesus Christ and Scientology. Over and over and over, every single episode, every story, what you find is Scientology leads to death. It leads to shackles. It leads to bondage. It leads to you serve this organization, you give away your money, and that sounds so familiar to Christianity, but hear me when I say this, people have become complete slaves to it. And the difference with the gospel, as the gospel grows within Ephesus is, you're offered to be a son. Come be with me. Like, like sin wants to treat you like a slave, I want to treat you like a son. Now hear me, I'm not being not gender neutral. Like I'm being on purpose to say that, listen, as a son, within this culture, sons are afforded so many things. The firstborn son are given so many things away. And this, hear me, when God the Father looks at you, what the people of Ephesus are hearing, the reason that change is different than within Scientology is as God continues to show you his goodness that is found in the kingdom of God, as that begins to take root and does something, hear me with everything that I'm trying to tell you, It's good news because in that moment, you're afforded to be seen like Jesus. Theologically, be seen like Jesus. You are counted as a brother like Jesus. So as much as Josh came up here and said, let me put it in the simplest form that I can. When God looks down on you as a Christian, hear me, he loves you like Jesus. So think about how much God loves Jesus. God the Father loves Jesus. This is why it's better news. And this is why people are looking at Artemis going, That's, you don't afford me that. This isn't good news. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself away. I'm cutting myself. I'm offering my children to you. But here's the gospel growing and growing. Now, there's a lot of things that take place from this moment. This is one of them, verse 28. So Demetrius riles up the crowd. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion. And they were rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and uh, Aris, uh, I'm sorry, Aristocris, um, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So they grabbed some of Paul's things. I'll explain that in a second, uh, some of his people. But when Paul wished to go, into the, go among in the crowd, sorry, go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let them. And even some of the uh, uh, Asriarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So let's stop real quick right there. Demetrius is, is riling up the crowd, and as he riles him up, he gathers um, uh, some people around, and the crowd's growing. He finds, not Paul, but some of Paul's companions, and they rush him into this, and historically you can look this up, huge theater, larger than the Colosseum, this huge theater that, that is in Ephesus that doesn't exist anymore, but we have the footprint of it. We have this huge theater, drag him in, and people are all kind of riled up. There's this mob rule. So much so, listen to verse 32, which is semi-hilarious. Some, uh, now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them didn't even know why they had come together. Yeah, yeah! Joe, what are we doing here? Okay, yeah, go get them! And one guy's over here is like, the Yankees! And the other guy's like, yeah, no, like, they don't know why they're there. There's just confusion. They want to yell. They like loud noises, right? Okay, so, um, so, so there, this is going on, which I find hilarious. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, who the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized uh, that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So Alexander, this Jew, comes up and goes, guys, guys, what? And he's trying to calm them down. But they realize he's a Jew. And the reason they're frustrated is because Jews, like Christians, are monotheistic, meaning we, we hold to one God. And, and they're going, no, 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 no. We don't want to hear from you. You believe there's just one God as well, right? So they shout him down and hear this for two hours. Great is Artemis. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours later, great is the Artemis, okay? So, so, so they're shouting for two hours, trying to play this thing out, trying to make a point. And then uh, verse 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, town clerk is an unfortunate translation. Um, some of your translations like NLT will actually say the mayor, which that's what it, you think of town clerk as someone just taking the minutes. No, the mayor of this region quiets them down and says this. And what he says is huge. Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that, uh, that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and that the sacred stone that fell from the sky, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. If you're like me, you immediately want to know this stone falling from the sky thing is. You can look all day. There's no definitive things. A lot of it has to do with Artemis. Part of um, worshiping Artemis was worshiping meteorite type stuff. And we don't know for sure. The translation's even kind of goofy. It could be an image. But something, whether either fell from the sky or is said to have fell from the sky, is in Ephesus as kind of a, um, an obvious uh, point of reference that Artemis exists. Okay? And so he's making this declaration. We know who we are. We're, we're the Ephesians. Everyone around us knows the Ephesians worship Artemis. Everyone knows that. That's not, that's not in question. We know who we are. Okay. And then he goes on to calm them down. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemies of our goddess. 
that's not correct. Verse 38, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. Verse 40, for we, uh, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Verse 41 rounds it out. Uh, and when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So the mayor in this moment kind of talks some reason into him. You guys are rioting about some of you don't even know what. Go home. We're going to get in trouble here. And if there are real issues, there's proper, proper channels to take care of these things. Go home. And the, the, the crowd dissipates. But it's how he starts his argument that I want you to hear. Because um, as I wrap this up, I, I think we can miss the point of the book of Acts. And we can miss the main character in it as well. Because here's the declaration of the mayor of that town. We know who we are. No, no, we know who we serve. Like, who's this Jesus? Listen, give it some time, and he'll be gone when it's all said and done. Everybody knows we're the gatekeepers of Artemis. We know who we are as a people. We know how we operate as a society. Why are you tripping, bro? And if we're, if we're, if we're not careful here, if, if we're not careful, we'll miss that our moms that we can't see to change, our dads, our husbands, our wives, our brothers, our sisters, our coworkers, our classmates, our friends that we look at and go, man, they're never going to change. If we're not careful, we're going to think that Paul's the one who, who created this riot in Ephesus, but he's not. He's just simply the one who is used to do it. Put yourself in the story, man. Your dad worshiped Artemis. Your dad's dad worshipped Artemis. Your dad's 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 dad worshipped Artemis. And here you are. You had a path to follow. You would have continued to do this. You would have continued to worship this false god. But suddenly you hear about Jesus. Use your imagination. We're in Ephesus. You hear about Jesus and your, your heart has changed. Now, now, if we know anything about Paul, we know that he's not eloquent in speech. We know that it's not Paul kind of razzle-dazzling, showing people magic tricks and how he operates and how he can trick people into talking them into following the gospel. No, hear me. It's God who changes you. It's God who begins to affect you. One, and then your neighbor. Two, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your, your husband, your wife, your coworker, your classmate, your friend. Though you bring the gospel so that they can hear, according to Romans 10, you don't bring the power. And if we can just stand back for a moment and remember that the book of Acts has people like Peter and John and Paul, but they ain't the main characters. And none of them bring in a disturbance to the city. Now that's something Jesus does. That's something that the power of the Holy Spirit does that begins to change hearts. So hear me. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Listen, listen. Tell China the gospel can't come. Tell northern India the gospel can't come. Tell Morocco, Sudan. Tell South America the gospel can't come. There's too many Catholics there. Now hear me. God's going to do what he's going to do. And you want to know why that's true? Because the kingdom of God that Paul is preaching has a king. And hear me, maybe you don't believe this and maybe you're still wrestling with this whole God thing. I don't mean this in an ethereal sense or figuratively. I mean quite literally, Jesus is actually still alive. And I would argue he's actually more alive than we are. I can explain that another time. 
My point in saying this, though, is that Jesus is very active and he comes alongside, Paul comes alongside Jesus and what he's already doing in the Ephesians and he makes the change. Jesus makes your old life look disrepute. Why would I want that when I can have Jesus? It's Jesus who goes, Artemis! It's Jesus who sits in the seat of majesty. It's Jesus who disposes of those false idols, who removes those false forms of joy. It's Jesus. His kingdom is preached. What? Ephesus doesn't stand a chance. If the gospel can save a terrorist, hear me, it can save and work and do and overturn Peoria and Glendale and Phoenix, overturn your neighborhood, your mom, your dad. If the gospel can save a terrorist, it can save you. That's Jesus. That's the confusion. That's the big, wow, look at what God's doing moment for us. So don't be discouraged if you don't see it. It's not on your shoulders. Jesus will carry that weight. I trust he's going to do okay. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for your goodness towards us, your grace. We're grateful that um, in the midst of recognizing that the book of Acts is an ongoing story of what you're doing, we have the people of Ephesus who are turned upside down. There's this disturbance that takes place in the city because of the way. And in the same way, in a micro level, that's exactly what should be going on within all of us who call ourselves Christian in this room. That, that there's this, this dissonance within us, that there are moments where we want to go back to our old way of life, but we see the beauty of the kingdom of God, we see the beauty of the gospel, and we don't want anything to do with it. My prayer is that, um, that you would just explode in power in our lives, that you would show that you're real, that you're, you're your power is real, and it's different from Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. It's different from Muslims. It's different from Buddhism. It's different, and it's different because it's active. It's moving. It brings real joy. God, if we could just rest in that, that it wouldn't just have a religion or a God, but we have the real living God in our corner. May we be encouraged by that. May you do something within us the same way that you did to the Ephesians in Ephesus. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.